Welcome to the Movement Made Better podcast, powered by Stick Mobility. We are your hosts, Dennis Dunphy and Neil Valera. Today's episode, we are excited to have on Chris Chamberlain. Thank you, Chris, for joining us today. We really appreciate it. And uh, we'll let you give a little background yeah. and introduce yourself to My the listeners. My pleasure, guys. Hi, guys. I'm Chris Chamberlain. I'm actually the current director of programming at the WEC Method Lab right now. I've been in the health and fitness industry for about 12 years and sort of had a pretty interesting start with it. I was actually I've sort of been a carpenter by trade for a lot of my my life. My dad's a carpenter and I kind of grew up sort of in that working man's type environment. And I did that probably till I was about 26 while I was sort of coaching on the side. Uh, so it's sort of given me, and actually while I was doing that, I was actually going to school uh, to be an event planner, which a lot of people don't know, but I was actually going to be a wedding planner. So kind of a weird start to things here. The strongest <laughs> wedding planner kind of, ever. Yeah, the savage <laughs> wedding planner was kind of going to be my whole uh, play on that. But uh, I think uh, sort of having that background of almost being a little more of like a farm boy, mm-hmm. being a carpenter, working with my hands most of my life and having to get the work done that way has been a big influence on how I train my style of movement and how I approach how somebody would give me information sort of in a, in a movement practice or things like that. So I think that's been a huge piece of that. But like I said, currently I'm working at WEC Method. I've been here for about two years. We pride ourselves in a personal practice and a personal development that. And I really always love telling people that do approach WEC Method and what we're getting into about like how young I am in my journey of that movement practice itself. I've only been in it for about two years working with uh, David Weck and on tapping into everything that we're working on there at the lab. So that's a little bit about me, I guess. So did you were you lifting weights or training when you were a carpenter or was it was that mostly your your training? I grew up like playing sports and football and things like that. So the, actually, the weight room was actually a very negative place for me. Uh, I have an older oh. brother. He was like a star football player, and I was four years under him. So like as I was going into high school and getting into the weight room, I was sort of had expectations to be like a good athlete and things like that, and didn't have great weightlifting coaches. And I was a my brother's like six four and like two fifty. He's like a big dude, and I'm five ten and. 1 in 70, 160 or whatever. And going into the weight room in high school, didn't get taught anything in any kind of manner and didn't really feel good. So I kind of had this sort of bad environment there. And I just ended up working with my dad all the time and working with my hands and lifting things up in nature and stuff like that. And then kind of hit my uh, 18, like really was like, oh, like, you know, I'm a young guy. I need to lift. I need to, I should approach the gym again. I should make this something that's positive in my life. I shouldn't have a negative thought process on that. So, uh, I did get into lifting weights and I would work with my dad all day. I'd end up going and lifting at the gym after and sort of started uh, creating a nice um, daily routine or daily habit. And I think that's been a big piece of my lifestyle and my training journey is like just daily practices, constantly having something that I'm working on and moving through. And yes, so I I would, I did have a weight training kind of thing. uh, That really is where I got into the industry was I didn't like barbells. For some reason, I had some weird thing against like weight training in that respect, but I got into kettlebells and kettlebells. I think when I got into it was still a very young, like I I think there was only one gym in my entire area. And I lived near DC that even had a kettlebell. So I was the kettlebell guy in Northern Virginia there for a little while. And I sort of met some other people that kind of had the same passion as me with that. I would say the bulk of my career has been, I would have called myself a kettlebell athlete or kettlebell coach. And I didn't really, uh, if anybody knows anything about kettlebell, I guess there's like some branches, there's hard style and soft style. Yeah. And there's like different, everybody likes to niche themselves off into things. So I sort of never really fit 
the bill on either of them. I guess I kind of hung around more like hard style type kettlebell people for a long time. And I like lifting weights and being tense and stuff like that. So that was probably what I was closer to, but I never... I uh, never really did well with people telling me how to move and things like that. Like I had had all this natural movement I created working with my father, lifting logs and holding 900 pound steel beams over my head with a 60 year old man. You know what I mean? Like there's like this level of like, I just got to get this done and I'm going to yeah. do what my body needs to do efficiently to, to handle this. And when I would approach a kettlebell or a lift or something like that, I'd, I would just move what felt right for me. And I've always loved that. So weight trained while I was working. I also, uh, but kettlebells ended up being my, my sort of my wheelhouse uh, for the bulk of my career up till now. So, and of course, with the job experience and of course the job demands, if you're lifting heavy weights, heavy loads like that, tossing a kettlebell around actually becomes pretty easy, relatively speaking. Yeah, sure. Absolutely. Right. And I think there's a, I think a lot of that kind of stuff comes down to the, the mindset, right? I haven't been pushing, I know in like our education system yet a lot about like mindset and things like that. But I would say in the past like three months or so, it's really been resonating to me, to me that maybe that's something I need to address a little more. Because uh, I just noticed a lot of people don't have a strong will or mindset behind them when they approach things. And they're, they're almost scared of things or unsure or uncertain. And I think that is kind of a, a big barrier of entry to a lot of people. But I've always just had the like, the job's got to get done. I'm going to get it done. I'm going to solve the puzzle. However, I got to solve the puzzle and I'm going to use my body most efficiently to do that type of thing. So, and then, yeah, we'll get into that in a little bit, but yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah so. But there's a lot of fear in movement and especially movement with loads. Yeah, absolutely. I would uh, agree with that. I'm seeing a lot, like uh, we, we were kind of talking earlier about just like you'll post something on Instagram or social media or something and we'll, you'll immediately get a lot of that lash out of that comments on like just like oh you're gonna hurt yourself or what are you doing like this is not normal this is scary like and i i honestly i want to say i used to get kind of like oh like why are you gonna even reach out to do that but it kind of in my mind at this point is it's almost like maybe a level of fear or something like that it's just somebody doesn't know how to understand movement like that and better to not be upset about it and rather educate somebody on it's okay and it's a good thing to move and when again, like I said, if I was working an eight hour day and I had to move two thousand, three, four thousand pounds of lumber every day or something like that, like I had to do wake up at six and do it every day and I still wanted to go home and work out in the gym, like there's no fear. I just had to get job done. So yeah. And I'm a smaller guy. So it was like to be able to move as much as maybe like my older brother or my dad, bigger guys, like you kind of have to keep up. So you said you're about a buck seventy right now or I'm probably, but actually, I'm probably buck 85 right now. But okay, high school stuff like that, I was like 160, things like that. And a lot of my lifting career, I was probably, I wouldn't break 170, 175. I'm a dad now, so got get that 10 pounds. <laughs> I, get, I get it, man. I get it. Yeah, yeah, so, hey. <laughs> but you're, you're, man, when people watch you, like when we watch you, your explosiveness and strength is, is phenomenal. So we, Neil and I really appreciate watching you and the way you move. So we give a ton of credit. Is that something that did you find was pretty natural for you? Is that explosiveness? I would actually say that explosiveness is not very natural to me, mm -hmm. to be quite honest. I was a little more probably of an endurance athlete when I would start okay. things out. I would call myself that. I could run all day. I worked out. If I had eight uh, clients in a day, I worked out with all eight of them. And most of them would be like fat loss clients. So I'm just doing like a bunch of back then, a bunch of like Metcon, like working hard and just sweating a lot. So I would say I just move a lot. I like to work. Again, I kind of tested, like bring that to that 
that working man's life, that eight hour work day. Like I just moved all day. My intensity level might be a little more than some at the time because I've done it for years and practiced that idea. But I would generally say speed and explosion is not what somebody would say about me. So I'm very thankful that somebody <laughs> <just> said that. <laughs> I'm like, I've always been like this. I'm just working for that like old man grind. Like I want to be like 70, just pulling something off the ground and be happy about it. <laughs> well, well, when you're 70, you're the last person I'm going to want to wrestle with. I'll, let me tell you that because oh, your strength is still going to be top notch. So that's awesome. So what kind of training, I guess, got you over the edge here for power and speed? Like what, what was it that you changed to, you know, uh, so to start to develop? I would say, that? I'm going to say WEC method. I'm just going to mm-hmm. throw it out at that. It's mm-hmm. kind of a complex thing. But like right before I met David and got into that, like I said, I was really working on a lot of like kettlebell work, like heart, more heart style looking stuff. Uh, I was deadlifting a lot and i was doing a lot of gymnastics a lot of rings training and what i would say was all of it was sort of in this like bilateral environment and i felt like i was like a fit guy and a strong guy and all this stuff and anybody would have said it but i didn't feel like if somebody asked me to go like pick up and run a mile like it just was not a comfortable thing anymore i bet i could still run a sub six or something like that but it was just like i don't want to do that i don't want anybody to know i don't want to do that again Mm-hmm. Uh, type thing. Uh, and when I met David, uh, he kind of, he tapped me into just the concept of side bending, the Royal coil, as we called mm-hmm. it at the time. And side bending really led me to feeling what I was chasing. Basically what I had been chasing is what I felt like when I was 20, when I was working out with eight clients a day, uh, and just felt awesome, just felt good and felt ready for anything. And my journey since then has been understanding how that side bend relates to all things and how I can manipulate it and still do things that I love and express it in any way I want. I think that's been the key to me feeling explosive or even when I don't feel explosive, I'm able to create an expression that may look explosive to the outside. I mean, it may not even be as powerful as I think I could be or once was, but I'm able to create the expression that is needed in that sense is, is coiling something that we naturally do but we kind of mm-hmm. don't think about it 100 percent. Yeah, yeah so there's a uh as i say a lot of like uh if you fall david or any of that kind of stuff early on like communication of all this stuff and expression of it david doesn't have like a huge training practice himself he's a mind guy he loves to think and he digs into what he's into at the time i have a very broad scope of things i've loved gymnastics aerial stuff like everything running lifting, swimming, all of it, CrossFit, whatever. Basically what coiling is, is what I'm going to tell you, it's the end range of rotation. So it's sort of this end range of expression that most people aren't tapping into because either they're being told they shouldn't or they're just don't know they can type thing. And then people are currently either working in my mind in sort of this like bilateral torsion environment where they're like expressing rotation to complete like power lifts and broad jumps or whatever this sort of center expression is, and they're expressing side to side behavior or what I would call rotational movement, which is just, it has an uh, opportunity to hit the end range of like side bending or coiling, but it doesn't mean you're going to. So if you never go there, you don't know you can access it uh, within like a normal sort of like figure eight style, like rhythmic pattern. Coiling is what we're really like trying to set into people's like practices at like the WEC lab, basically. If we can establish an end range posture, you can then translate it to like a bilateral environment or a rotational movement type environment. How would you explain the feel? Like what would that feel like differently for someone that's not used to it? Uh, I'd say at first, it feels like a really aggressive contraction. And I'm either going to say in the oblique or the, the lat. 
like the lower mm-hmm. lat. Okay. And it's like the lower lat and a lot like a place that a lot of people would associate pain to, I mm-hmm. think a lot of the time. And we're doing it in sort of this like lordotic position that I think a lot of people are like scared to go into. They've heard that that's like bad for their back and things like that. But I, I think the problem had been people weren't rooting it where it should be rooted and they weren't removing slack from the system. Maybe when they're approaching a movement like that, we can get that feeling, understand it. Uh, and when you sort of find it, we've essentially sort of found that like you sort of hit all these landmark positions, like certain things sort of line up no matter what movement you're doing at whatever angle it be, certain things sort of line up and associate to you tapping into that end range of that. And if you hit all that, everything feels really good and really powerful. And you should be able to find carryover uh, between multiple like modalities with it is the thought. And you guys are using that a lot as a, well, obviously it's develop awareness, but as a primer Uh before getting into these different movements, right? Yeah. So, yeah. So we're working on, trying to establish a posture. So priming, so like priming, something we use, we throw out there. It's something that could be, it could be something that's long duration or short, short duration in my mind. So it depends on sort of the person and where they're at. I might do long, long duration holds to establish a posture and understand it and build a mental and physical connection to it so that I can easily cue it in more complex patterns. But then when I'm know it. I'm like, I'm very familiar with it. I don't really need to go in there and work on my long duration type postures anymore. I'm going to do things that if I feel like I'm disconnected, first off, I'm going to do something that takes no more than probably about 10 seconds to really like go like, all right, I'm, I'm here today. I know, I know what I'm going to be rooting my movement to. And I'm going to express that movement better now that I know that that connection is there. So when we talk about that lateral coiling, (laughs) when we actually watch people move, like if if we're especially if we're watching a ground based athlete, right, a wrestler or a mixed martial artist, we mm-hmm. see that taking place naturally, mm-hmm. right? It's how they have to get into that shape to deliver the explosiveness, power, strength that they're looking for. Why are we so afraid of that when we go into a gym and actually want to train it purposely? I think even what you just said there is like you just spoke about people that aren't loading an environment too much. Maybe the grappler once he's got a hold of somebody, or the fighter's got a hold of somebody, but it's a it's generally an unloaded-ish type environment. It can be high intense, but mm-hmm. tends to be unloaded. So people start introducing load to things in maybe environments they don't understand. And I think that that's where maybe people are getting the misrepresentation of it or somebody got hurt doing something and then it's immediately a big no-no. Somebody got hurt doing something which could be related to a million other things, but that that immediately puts a negative context on like a side bend and things like that. But like you said, the ability to slow-mo everything now, like just the the accessibility of it is such a powerful thing. And it's a powerful tool that we use. And a lot of other individuals are using that are sort of getting on this thread of trying to connect movement to to like gate cycle and locomotive type stuff is that you can slow-mo the best movers and you can see what they're doing. And if you pay attention, there's a lot of common grounds uh, within those movements. And it's uh, that side bend, like you said, and understanding that it doesn't always have to be the deepest ex- expression of it is key too. So not everybody's going to express it like fully, but training it again, we're training, we're drilling, yeah. you train, you're trying to practice something, you're trying to develop something that you can use real time and have carryover or might give you an advantage in something. And that's what we're doing is we're establishing huge range of emotions that in some cases almost look kind of odd to some people, like we've said. But but I have access to that now, and there are absolutely times that I need that range of motion that it'll give me an advantage in something. And uh, I'll even throw out, it gives me an understanding. Uh, we do sort of like non-dominant side training as well. 
So like I'm able to understand something. I have a goal when I'm looking at like my non-dominant side now of like ranges I can expose and uh, like, can I fluidly move something the same way as I can on this side? And can I use, so where we do like our rolling ropes, can I use a tool or an implement that helps me connect both sides together to better educate my non-dominant behaviors as well. Is there a, uh, so is there a certain direction that you have to, that you try to load the coil? Like, like where you put the load, does that, like, how does that affect it? Yeah, okay, does so, it really, does it really matter? No, no, no. So this is where, uh, early on, we were always talking about the lat, the lat, the lat, like the yeah. low lat was what we were really talking about there because that's sort of this expression we were trying to get people to understand in gate cycle is that when you're up and running, you can ride those lats and that fascial line and it, you, it feels free. That's why we do the pulsers and stuff like that. it feels kind of effortless to tap into that and really commit to it. But I wouldn't say it's a specific way you load it because there'll be sometimes that I, uh, a lot of the kettlebell work I do, it's actually the coiled side in it is actually the side without the bell. Mm. It's actually the side. And this is something I really love educating people. And it's like, we're talking about slack. I use the term slack a lot, getting the slack out of the system. I love actually, I love stick mobility for that as well. Actually, they're really good at helping people understand both sides of it. And when I can manage that, like a root into a side without load and I can focus on the side that it seems like nothing's going on and I'm able to get a better expression on the side that I'm doing something on, that's money in my mind. That's why I said like, it wouldn't really matter how you're loading the coil specifically. It would be like figure eight patterns. Okay. So there'd be like an underhand versus an overhand. And I would tend to say if I'm rolling some sort of under or overhand pattern, I'm going to be pulling it into like my oblique and then throwing it out from there. And then mm. if I'm doing an underhand, I've already lo I'm loading it from the top down into my lat and then expressing it out the lat. And I, I imagine this has a huge carryover to fighters because it's like when you're punching, right? When you're throwing across, you want to pull that jab back and you're you are loading in that left lat if you're throwing a right hand cross mm -hmm. and, you know, vice versa if you're throwing a left hand. Absolutely. So like I look at fight and dance as kind of similar uh -huh. uh, modalities they're they're both really complex they both have different reasons behind them but they can both be very aggressive or not they're overly complex and i think when you like throw that in somebody's face like you'll see a lot of what we're talking about going on there but there's a lot of, like if you, if you get it there's a lot of nuance and like it can get confusing for somebody offhand uh, and this is where we we really like to start with people with uh like i said postural holds like understanding what we're talking about first off and then i like to get people to express it through like uh some sort of swinging element, like something like a rope or a club or a stick or something of that nature where they can start feeling fluid transition of it. But even when I, like I do, I was trying to like associate with like swinging elements to like specific, like fighting things or throwing and stuff like this. But even like a throw, the complexity of it is more than what I can even just do with a rope or not really like it, it opens up, it lends itself to open up opportunities to create something that's never been created with an implement like that or expressed with an implement like that to help mimic patterns or, or core function that is the same as like a throw or something like that. Kind of neat. If you practice this coiling technique and you get dialed in and you start to really mm -hmm. understand what it is, is there going to be a direct carryover to strength increase on just our traditional lifts? Heck yeah. I actually think looking at your traditional lifts a little differently might occur as well. I'm really big on like, I do like stuff with DJ, strong mm -hmm. camps yeah anyways uh and we we play around with torsion lines stuff that we learned uh from strong fit i actually didn't learn it from strong fit i learned from dj 
specifically, but it's a lot of what we're talking about at the lab as well, torsion lines. So I'm expressing lifts where I'm completely aligning to one torsion line and doing it. So like I do a really low bar, like duffalo bar back squat where I'm doing like an Anderson squat where I'm able to put a whole lot of late and I'm purposely getting as like lordotic as possible. And I'm putting that, I'm like just trying to get my shoulders as close to my hip and my hip as close to my shoulders as I can. And I'm feeling this thing in my, my lats entirely. And I'm actually completely, I'm not pressurizing at all. Like I've been taught in squats prior to that, right? I'm like letting this go open so I can get even further in the movement. And I'm able to lift a ton more because I've educated the depth and understanding of what I'm allowed to get into in a, in a side bend so that when I bring that to the center, I'm able to feel a lot stronger and a lot more compact. And I'm, I'm able to remove the slack from the center even further and express it more powerfully in a sense. And then same thing would apply to like the front squat. Like I can now do a front squat or a really heavy goblet squat or zercher squat and remove all that slack and trust in it. And I would actually say my playing around with this stuff, my my traditional deadlift, my barbell deadlift, I had been chasing 500 pounds forever. I was working on a barbell deadlift and people were telling me just constantly to pull and retract into my lats and do all this stuff. And it was the exact opposite behavior of what I needed to do as an individual, I would say. I needed to fan my shoulders and get more rounded and almost act like I was picking a stone than a bar. And when I knew what it feels like to pick a stone, I was like, why am I not applying that to the bar? It should be the same thing. And immediately got my deadlift over 500. And at the beginning of COVID, I was just playing around because I felt so rooted to the idea of what it needed to be driven through that I was just walking into my garage every morning and pulling 500 pounds cold. Like I just wow, wake up with wow. my kid, come out here and just pull. And that was big. That's a big deal for me. But I was just doing it cold. Like, I love that. I love that idea. So I said, the old man's strong. Like, just I can go out here. I know that I'm okay to do it. I know mindset right and i would just do it and it felt great yeah man i mean if there was an emergency you'd, you'd run out of your house and you wouldn't even think about think about it twice yeah to and there'd be, there's other things that would go on there adrenaline things yeah. like mm-hmm. i would had no adrenaline i feel like crap but yeah. in like mentally but i knew i was rooted to the right stuff i knew where to remove the slack now and i knew i could come out here comfortably and do that every day how long did you do that for i think i ended up doing it for 17 days straight oh wow that's i'd at awesome. least get one rep that's uh, awesome which was pretty cool yeah at the beginning of covid it was pretty awesome i liked and- it it was fun i felt like a meathead it was great <laughs> <laughs> and have you been able to maintain that 500 pound deadlift yeah i can still pull it yeah i absolutely yeah i can now which is great too so and i don't deadlift i, I actually that's a a lot of people don't i don't have like this traditional type of practice that a lot of people have where maybe they're grinding something i wasn't even working on deadlifting i was working on intention i was working on just connecting to things and i may have been just working with bands or bozu ball for a month i was just getting more rooted to the efficiencies in my body and then being able to express it and i mean i certainly had background in deadlifting so i had not not chased it prior to that i think 485 was my pr i think i'm 515 now the only reason i pulled that is because i found out i was having a baby that morning and i was like i'm about to be a dad and i picked that thing up so i kind of <laughs> had that a little adrenaline rush of that and then that didn't happen at all since then. That felt almost impossible to move prior to uh, the beginning of COVID. So it's just understanding that you have access to the tissues that you need access to when when necessary. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Having that connection with myself, knowing where something could be driven and what I've been loving mostly about it now. Now I know what typically drives something. So what typically somebody does to accomplish a task. But I know there are more routes to that now that are makes sense and if I'm, I'm able to take any movement now and i can sort of express it in maybe a, a unique way or a way nobody's ever done it before because i know that there is an appropriate way of doing it even if it's not a, a typical 
type uh, expression of something. So may not even matter. It may not be anything I'd ever need to do in my life, but I can practice an expression that I think is cool and unique and keeps things fresh for myself and allows me to be creative and, and potentially could be something very helpful for somebody with a very specific type of task. So, so are there any um, strength goals that you have or are you just basically trying to tap into as much human potential as you have? I like that one, that last one. But uh, like I said, I was actually trying to break that 500. That was a big, that was probably a goal I set when I was a kid that I was like, I just got to be able to do that one day. So I got that. So that was a nice off my bucket. I'd like to do a body weight bent press. I haven't quite gotten oh, to that yeah. yet. Mm. I'm close, but uh, I need to. Ch- I want to do it with a kettlebell too, specifically. Not. I think I could do it with a, a dumbbell, but I want to be able to do it with a, a kettlebell. It's a little feels like it's going to break your arm a little more. So I like that feeling. Yeah, those are probably oddly enough for like the two things that I really love and want to be able to do myself. <laughs> Just that uh, keep a heavy deadlift. I uh, have that uh, bent press, and I still. I kind of chase having some calisthenic moves in there. I still think there's a nice, really, uh, like having a stand to stand bridge or having an L sit to press up. I kind of think it's always check in with that skill to make sure I've kept it throughout and see if I apply this stuff to it. So I understand it better. And I like kind of having, I think that's always, I know a lot of people I looked up to in the fitness industry would sort of have like a, like really heavy deadlift and like, they'd still have like a handstand or something like that. Mm. That was always kind of a cool thing. So I'm inspired by that a little bit and Goku, of course. Yeah. You guys don't have Dragon Ball Z friends, then. <laughs> <laughs> it's in our little. Uh, we have a little power. We have a little PowerPoint. We do uh, have. A, like, yeah, a, we talk about you know radiation. Yeah, radiation. And, and Goku's our guy on there. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I'm not sure if I trust anybody that didn't watch Dragon Ball Z growing <laughs> up and wait like four weeks for something to happen. So I might hop off this if you guys didn't uh, respond well. <laughs> what I I tend to try to tell people coiling is pretty much like. I try to relate it to a catapult. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Right. In discussing how the more you can draw that catapult back, the more potential energy you have. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's Uh, a great way to put it. It's relatable. I think it's relatable to most people as long as they know what a catapult is. Right. So some some of these kids have to Google that. They're like, I don't know what the hell that is, but that's kind of the way I, I try to express that to people or translate it to people. I think that's a wonderful way to put it. When we look at gymnasts, I mean, Neil and I talk all the time about how isometrics and how their physiques are developed and how Mm -hmm. people don't like when we talk about aesthetics for training, why we don't use isometrics a little bit more or understanding coiling methods and things like that and how it can translate to really making you aesthetically really nice to look at. Sure. Yeah, I think isometrics are great. I was all, I was doing isometrics way before any of this. I've been doing that probably for years. I was always I I used towels a lot. That was a lot of my training I did with people prior to Weck Method and things like that. Really loving elastics. So we do a training oh. called Limit Force Elastics. So we like to call it that. And technically I feel like the stick sort of sits in this realm as well. Some of the mm-hmm. ability for it to want to return back to its shape, I think mm-hmm. is key there. Especially in the aesthetic environment. We pull we pull bands or we compress balls to their limit or our limit, our perceived limit on it. And because of that, we're creating like an acceleration factor within the elastic. So it's creating like a, we would say like a little bit of this like microscopic change back and forth. So I'm not just like fighting against something. And if I let up, it's done. I get mm-hmm. to actually sit there and fight something like I'm wrestling a guy and hold isometric postures or we call them expo metrics. I think that there's a lot of potential to to develop physique if you want it, but if nothing else, establish postures. So I think it's an essential piece. Isometrics 
are an essential piece to any training program and developing posture. And I'm really loving it for just somebody coming in the door right away. Uh, now it's just immediately getting to like long duration isometrics like that. Cause it, it gives me an opportunity to establish cueing and landmarks and positions with somebody. And the person still gets that like work, that burn, that like something that maybe they're there to feel and in their understanding of training. But again, it lets me be a coach and lets me also establish stuff that is, I know is going to make them more successful as I bring them into more complex movement and stuff like that. So, so when you're talking about long duration isometrics, you know, typically mm-hmm. how, how long and um, I guess what intensity level would you typically have someone? I would say we're getting at? probably 90 seconds is probably the most we're doing right now on okay. that. Okay. 30 to 90, depending on the person. And it, realistically, I don't care about the time. I would just say it's more of uh, it is high intensity though. And it's, it's as uh-huh. much as intensity as I can keep somebody rooted into their core or their coil. So, or whatever posture I'm trying to do. I'm trying to establish all of my movement to be coming from the engine. So from the trunk. And if they're broken from that, then there's no point. And I start with that feeling first. So if I can establish that understanding of feeling that the more sort of landmark positions and cues I can get them to assimilate while they're in it, the more efficient they feel in the posture and they actually end up feeling better during the isometric hold. And I, right now I'm exploring around with not coaching too much. I just coach, like the contraction or like where I want them to generally feel it within the trunk. And I'm allowing their body to sort of find the efficiencies or inefficiencies themselves. And they're sitting there dying in an ISO. It's just, so I'm not overcoaching an individual. And then if we, as they come in, they start naturally sort of falling into the landmarks that I want them to. And then I can sort of help coach it and help guide them to those positions to help them feel the efficiencies of that that coiled posture or bilateral hold or whatever I'm doing in that uh, respect. So from a training standpoint, you're looking to, as for a trainer or a coach to allow that person to discover at their own pace and not trying to force them into something before they're ready for it. You know, uh, I've done I've done both ways and I'm okay. just I've just fallen more into that. Just let people feel like got to let them experience it. I, I try to go back to my own journey with everything and I wouldn't have done well being trying to be forced into something like I would need to feel it a little bit for myself. And I think, I think I want people, I want somebody that works with me to want to learn about it and want to understand it for themselves in their own way. Cause their body's different than mine. They are their own individual. And I want them, I think the feeling that we would get can be the same, but they need to sort of find their own route there. And I'll give them all the tools to help them there. And coax them along and be a good coach in that sense. I'm getting less and less about trying to force people into certain, the full like posture right away. Mm-hmm. I'm allowing the the ISO to sort of help them want to learn it, help their body say, please put me in a more efficient posture. So this is not such a, a hard task, right? Mm-hmm. So I want to find the easiest way to, to have this task. Because now mentally they're more receptive to it. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And if I start, and depending on the person, if you start getting into too much mumbo jumbo with somebody, even a high level person, that some people just aren't into that. They don't need that. They just, they need the solution. They want to go on the, the, they need to find it for themselves in my mind. And so now yeah. the torque stick is something that, that, well, I saw you and DJ using, let me tell you, that thing is freaking amazing. And what's funny is how long it's been around. Yeah, I mean, those I, the power twister things have been oh, around the forever. Power, yeah. Right? I love it. Like you post something with it now and you kind of get these guys that have been like working with them for three years and they're like, oh, hey coach, like, can you yeah. bend this one? And stuff? I'm like, what is this? This is awesome. This little community that this little piece of equipment has is kind of neat. But they're, they're a fantastic tool 
I really like them bilaterally. I'm kind of iffy. I'm exploring them more split stance. I'm not as in love with them split stance and like coiled as I would like to be. I think there's some benefit there, but I'm big on like, like I said, I have principles I like to follow. So like I can take a tool like that and I'm starting to use it in a way that it's definitely not being used typically. Mm-hmm. Like I'm turning it different ways and I'm, I'm using oh. the spring to actually load my lats and have it like I crush it and let it spread me rather than uh, me always trying to fight it. I'm oh. letting it, I'm receiving the energy from the spur dead and it lets me tap into the, the, the external torsion of the lats a little more. So uh-huh. That's something I can show you sometime if you want me to. Maybe you can envision it though. So after you crush, you sort of just, ha, huh, like oh, let, let, it, it, let it go. Let it, yeah. let it spread you and let yourself wedge into the, the resistance from it. Uh-huh. So it's a, oh, yeah. yeah, it'll let you feel you. It lets you like ride your lats or if you were like, I know DJ does like a lot of like figure eights and stuff with mm-hmm. his, like, but I know if I'm running like underhand figure eights or something with it, I'm going to let that thing spread. And I'm not going to resist it so much. So, yeah, Dennis and I, we pick some up and, you know, we're just playing around with them. And I'm this way here, like right in the center. I'm, I'm pretty weak. Yeah. I think from all the climbing I've done, yeah. you know, going out into these outer positions and really digging in this way, I was much stronger. Yeah, yeah. Heck yeah. Cool. Yeah, you should be. So like I, te- I taught a couple of units for OMU, which is DJ's part of uh, the online mm-hmm. movement university. And uh, a bunch of actually a bunch of the coaches that have taught on it. I've coached now. I've like brought them through WM, our, our qualification. And they were all sort of using some of our language, like coil and like in their own style of stuff. Like they could see the carryover within it. I remember uh, Bud Jeffries, if you're familiar, he was teaching like how to rip cards. He was talking about like how people don't realize how much of that is actually from their, their core when you do something like that. And he's like talking about coiling and he's ripping cards and tearing stuff that way. And it was kind of neat to see how somebody like you should, you have more if you can connect it to your trunk. You're just going to do more that way. You're rooted to something that's very primitive to us, and you're going to be able to express whatever you're trying to do better if it's there. Yeah, we just had Bud on actually just last week. So, oh heck yeah, all right, great, that's great time. individual. Yeah, I'm telling <laughs> his yeah talking to him was really a, it was a real treasure. It was awesome uh, just to get his perspective on on strength and not only strength, but then translating it to the performance aspect too. I think that's something that a lot of people don't understand the trans, the the difference between the two having strength in the gym, but then also then, okay, how do you express that? How do you translate that over to the performance side? Yeah. yeah. Especially as a performance strong man, like him, man, like he's out doing something like he's got a perform day of, or why did I even come to this thing? So be strong at home out in that awesome little uh yard of his you watch that but so now i know the new bosu elite is vastly different than the the typical bosu that you see in most training facilities but it's not just the tool it's how you're teaching people to use the tool Mm -hmm. which absolutely let's be honest as an industry with the bosu it's all jacked up it's so funny it's it's so funny because i was not i like was such an outskirt of the industry i wouldn't have known twice on that like when i came in and david's all fighting everybody off about hating the bosu ball i'm like what's the matter it's awesome who cares you like use it it's a cool tool (laughs) but specifically the difference between those guys so the the elite has a lot more density to it so like you're not going to get on there and be wobbly and shaky right so it's not the traditional balance trainer in that sense the idea would be to approach balance with the understanding of developing postures. And mm-hmm. if you can strengthen posture, you're going to have better balance. So if I'm able to get on there, it, it allows us to, to 
that one really allows us to very quickly tap into the the limit force elastic that I was talking about earlier in the form of uh, an inflatable. Being on that like shape, like a dome type structure like that, I can sort of like utilize the downhill or the uphill of it. And mm -hmm. I can use the ability to squeeze it through the balls of my feet to initiate sort of that compressive or limit force elastic isometric hold. And that, again, would allow me a form of strength training that a lot of people aren't tapping into. It's not that like visual, like I got to have a 500 pounds on my back. I can hold nothing. I can squeeze another ball of air and I can be compressing and even just letting up enough to allow me to also move so I can move through compression, move through the limit to develop strength and connection to like a certain line of intent and certain line of engine driven movement. So, so the compression is what he was really after the at the heart of it and that's the reason why the tool is the shape that it is versus what the general public actually views it as sure yeah i think uh i think the original bozu probably didn't start out that way i think uh what's actually really cool about david and what i really actually like about him is that he created something that maybe he didn't even completely understand when he made it mm, but okay. it did well and he was on the journey to figure out why it did well and what the point of the thing was and how he could better actually give human beings information and actually better people and not just make a, a gadget, you know what I mean? So, and I think that that's really special and that gets kind of washed out sometimes because he's a fun, eccentric guy, but he did have really good intents and in trying to get information and try to actually understand why he was doing something. So, and the whole time he's just sitting there, like starting to learn to compress it and trying to learn what to root it to. And it really has led to something I think that is really powerful uh, in our industry and across the board, just as humans to be able to tap into something on us that maybe we're not in a very easy way that meets like I can, I can lay down 20 Bozo elites and I can have like 30 people or 20 people come off the, the street. I could have 90 year old woman and I could have the world's strongest man and they can all try to pop that ball and they're all going to mm -hmm. find the, the intensity that they need at that time. Like literally to the second of them popping it. Uh, to feel the posture and feel the intensity that they they desire or they want from it. So everybody can find their limit on it and they can find it quickly. And that uh, because the dome is that higher density, you don't have to worry about that like shake. You can be on it and you can mm -hmm. develop postures and use the contour, the shape of the dome to your advantage. Honestly, to work on an environment that's more human than flat surfaces by all means. You know, that's a big thing. I mean, we yeah. are so used to flat surfaces now mm -hmm. and minus what we have humans have created flat surfaces and we've missed that contour. Yeah, absolutely. A hundred percent. I think that that's a huge piece of what's missing with us and David always said, calls it the center line strength, which is center line strength. And he, uh, he talks about like the, a tree. So like climbing a tree or being on mm -hmm. a tree branch, like there would always be sort of this, like coming back to the center type thought process. Uh, and I think that that's a powerful thing that we have, a lot of us have missed. And that's why everybody's getting shoes that they're getting and stuff. Like it's, they're, they're trying to create shapes that are not natural, that they're in all day now. Or and So when you're talking about the feet, you guys talk about the three points on the foot what are you specifically talking about so, in regards to that feet feet wise i would say our big thing is we say the green dot that's mm -hmm. so that most distal it's like the most distal portion of your fourth and fifth metatarsal let's see if i can throw my foot up here so like right there <laughs> get a foot on the screen but it's the most the furthest point of your heel bone and i'll refer to it as the first floor so it's like it's where you're most substantial it's where you have the most structure it's the strongest point on your body and it's when you're athletic you're up on that position. And then, and I'm even to this point, when you look at complex movement, I would say that 
I don't have the picture with me, but there's a nice picture I'm using that covers like almost two thirds of the foot that I would call the go zone. And I'm referring to that whole zone as sort of this green, like it's the, it is the, the heel bone throughout the entire thing. And depending on the expression of movement I'm doing, I might be going through that go zone or landing on that go zone, right? Mm-hmm. And pivoting. So it's a pivot point most of the time too, some sort of pivot point uh, within that. And then sort of out of the big toe, I would call that the go-to. So it's sort of the expression or the, the switch over in the torsion line. So typically when you're in the green, you're going to be external torsion. You're going to be feeling the lat. And then as you switch into the other side, you're going to like go to, you're leaving substantial and you've already essentially in ground-based movement, you're making a weight shift anyways. So you're leaving or expressing from the ground or throwing yourself to the next foot to hit the next green dot and just keep expressing. And I like to put it like a, like a, and if I were to throw a ball, mm-hmm. I'm going to fully express. So on my hand, it would be the green dot of the hand would be like right there. Mm-hmm. And I would be throwing and then it would express through the other side or like the thumb side. So that go, it's going to, I'm, I'm gone. I've rolled through at that point and I've expressed from the lat. Like we said, I've loaded the catapult and I've thrown out of the catapult at that point and it has to ride through that other line of intent if you will right and the foot sort of follows suit the same way fascinating yeah i'm less uh, to be quite honest we'll talk a lot about feet but i'm more fascinated with core function Mm. and i don't actually i mean it's again landmarks cues things that are happening out here because of that Mm. are awesome and that they're a piece of it but i'm more interested in what's happening here and then the routes that i can take with all of this stuff based on that function that's what I'm sort of like where my mind is with all this. David is really big on hands and feet. Mm-hmm. Like he'll get stuck out on that distal stuff and we can sort of work together in that sense. He can get really honed in on something. I can get really honed in on something and we can ideate and understand better as a, a team that way. So, I've, I've noticed a lot of like, if you coach feet and stuff like that, I wouldn't coach feet to a normal person. Like it's too much. It's, it's too nuanced. It's probably too much. I, if they're not even thinking about, if they don't even feel like they've rooted to a posture. That's what I was saying. If I'm doing an isometric like posture with somebody, I can establish the core because that's what I need them to feel at all times. Mm-hmm. And then they will naturally start finding their green dot because when they're on it, they'll throw their heel a little bit and they'll start feeling more balanced and more efficient as sort of all these other like landmarks or pieces I would tell them normally. I won't tell them right away. So that they can start finding them for themselves and then I can coach along and help get them there a little better if I need to. I think you answered my, my next question is basically like if you you know take care of the awareness of your trunk, that'll <laughs> basically transfer down to your feet. Is, is I think it will. I think it will work its it. way out from there. Um, and I, I had the opportunity. My big my big thing, I was working with the ropes with uh individual Lizzie Smith. She's a Paralympic swimmer. She was a, a congenital amputee from the forearm down. And uh, she had just gotten a prostate. She's already an Olympic swimmer, Paralympic swimmer. And uh, she had just gotten her prosthetic like two or three months prior to coming out and seeing me. And I taught her all of our rope skills. And to watch her, because I touched the core function and I'm watching her like she's figuring out how to express on that other side of her body with an, a now a prosthetic using a tool that's meant to kind of take information from her really, really dominant side and send it to the side that's never done anything in a sense uh that was like that athletic and like she was super sore on this side and again it was this this function was making all of this stuff uh i think work better in general and i don't have to cue this i just tell them to make a shape and i'm watching this stuff and i'm, I'm telling you do you feel the like do you feel the lat like find your lat find your lat 
And if I'm going to like try a new move or try something I've never done, and I'm, I'm like, I know, like visually I've seen it in my head that like, oh, I know I need to be in that posture. I can literally like mid flow of something I've never done. Just like tell myself I need to find that, that feeling and I'll find that feeling and I'll stick something. I'll stick a landing. I'll stick a, I'll stick a rotational snatch or something weird that, uh, I just need to know where I need to be, uh, posture wise and everything else will sort of follow suit because of it. Mm. And I mean, I'm talking posture wise, as far as core, like I know mm. the feeling I need to feel it within my core, not, not all of the, where's my hand supposed to be? Where's my shoulder supposed to be? Where's this? Where's that? You know what I mean? I can just focus on that one thing and the body I'm finding follows suit. If you've prepared general concept of that. So let's talk about the bent press a little bit. I know you said you have this goal of getting a body weight bent press and like, I love the lift. I don't, I don't, I want to learn how to do it better and do it well. Sure. Um, but I think it touches on, I mean, everything for your upper body. I mean, your lats, mm -hmm. your shoulders, your core function. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. it seems like it's a lost lift and a lost art, right? I mean, you had like guys like Arthur Saxon that could, you know, supposedly do 400 pounds at at uh, 200 pounds. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's like, my that's, goal. That's ridiculous. You know, and if, if those numbers are, are real numbers, I don't know. Um, but that's ridiculous. Like, yeah. Like, what is uh, it about the bent press that you love so much? I like that you brought this up because I'll talk about this. So I have, I'll throw this out on here. So this, this, uh, something I'm calling the rotational ratio. Okay. And it's this idea of training four to one of rotation to bilateral movement. Huh? And it's something okay. I'm trying to push right now to help sort of like bend the curve of like people doing so much bilateral work. Mm -hmm. And the way I would put that is I do a coil on my right, a coil on my left. I'll do something in the center and then I'll do something that's rotational movement, which would be coil to coil. So something that moves fluidly from side to side. Mm -hmm. And if I do that, I've done four sides to one center type movement. And so like that could be a typical set with me. Now, something, the reason I fell in love, this where this goes into the bent press. So it's not just a, me going off on a tangent. When I was training prior to meeting David, I was deadlifting a ton. Like I said, deadlift and bent press were always like my thing. Like I loved mm -hmm. them. And I, I know why I loved the bent press so much now. And it was because it's a form of rotational movement. So it's a form of expression to expression. And my deadlift was always a bilateral lift. So I always had sort of this like right, left, like transfer when I was practicing tons of bent presses. So it was sort of keeping me, it's a skill-based movement or whatever, but it was still keeping me in a core environment that I was practicing expression from both sides and the more range i had on both sides the better the lift went so i was naturally starting to do moves that were coiled i started doing isometric holds like where i was holding the kettlebell low like that on one side and getting longer on the other side to establish more range so that i could get a better press but i, I started like this one i'm starting to push that ratio is because i started noticing that's exactly what i was doing so it didn't matter what movements i was doing like i would start falling into these little like lineups that i would be doing like coiled holds i'd be doing bilateral lifts because they made a lot of sense to me and i liked them and i could be strong in them but i always kind of capped them off with these rotational movements and i was sort of doing them in these environments where i was like lifting really heavy with them so i wasn't getting the full potential out of it i was getting it and it's why it felt really good to me but i um i really like when i started roping and getting like the side to side expression that really started making me actually better at my bent press and things like that because i was allowing me to like move through that transfer more often as far as 
core function kind of goes there. So yeah, Ben press. I love it. I'm really big on like skills and progressions and things like that. I, I've always like when I was a coach always had like 15 to 20 minutes of like skill development, skill play that we always did in my sessions with people. They were open to it, of course, but I would try to push that for somebody to have something they're, they're trying to progress through. And I think the Ben press was always a great way of like just developing a skill set, learning a different way to move and manage a lot of load. I mean, if Arthur Saxon really did move 400 pounds in one hand and like 200 pounds, like there's something there that's amazing that you can do like a feat of strength like that and that people aren't tapping into that anymore. So, uh, and if you look at even pictures of him in the postures, you can see like the transfer from one side to the other. And now that I know the depth of what that transfer is and the understanding of like, I can manipulate that movement a lot differently now. So I've been, I've been chasing that again recently. And I'm excited about it because I kind of know, I know a little more about like, like I said, I know the core function now, but I know like different ways of like steering away from it that I'm excited to apply to that lift now that I know things. Because when I met, see, when I met David, he taught me the Royal Coil. I literally went to the gym after, did it. And then I set a 35 pound PR on my bench press (laughs) right then and there. So I was like, whoa, this guy (laughs) just told me this had something to do with running and i just said something that i've been working on like a big goal in it like okay i'll come back over you can teach me your ropes (laughs) 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 you teach me about your bozu ball i'll learn this stuff so i'm a i'm a big it's gotta work and it worked so i was like i gotta get this people and i was annoying at first when i was learning all of it sure all my clients hated me that's why i really get big on that like not pushing people because i was so eager and excited for something mm-hmm. that works so well for me there's that level of like that coach that wants to give this to people they know it's good it's like man just calm down it's all right you're gonna get it to them <laughs> this is something their body wants anyways they're gonna enjoy it yeah, it's that new excitement that we get that passion so we just want to just express it all yeah, the time yeah, yeah. You know, so it's why it's it's walking that fine line between annoying people, like you said, and then <laughs> and because you can't lose some people that way. They're like, all right, enough 100%. already, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But what's interesting about like somebody like Arthur Saxon is doing stuff at a time when he wasn't being told what he couldn't do. Yeah, right. So it's not having those pre ideas and concepts of no, you can't do this or you shouldn't do this. Of course, yeah, dude. You guys have totally just picked my biggest man crush ever, by the way. So I actually know <laughs> some things about Sasson. So, uh, but what some I like because I like to try to put pieces together on like what I'm we're talking about now, and it's this locomotive stuff. So this mm-hmm. idea of rotational movement. So he's really good at a lift that happens to be rotational movement in my set, my mind, right? Core function side to side. Him and his brothers grew up swimming. They grew up climbing. They grew up uh-huh. barefoot, running fields. They grew up just living that way arthur saxon's well known for like finishing a show and they would be like hey we have a carriage for you to take you across town and he'd be like i'm not gonna ride a carriage i'm gonna pull the carriage because (laughs) the man didn't want to sit still he didn't want to sit in that like in my mind like in that bilateral environment i like swear this guy is just like if i do that i'm not gonna be human anymore like i'm not gonna bend to that societal like get in a car and we live in cars now and we sit in front of computers and all this stuff like we're not expressing a basic human function which is the ability to walk from point a to point b and we loved it and it's a big piece of why we are what we are and we, i think we've lost touch to the depth of what that actually is and i think that's why people are so scared of lifts like that now as they don't they don't understand how far they can go in the side bend and the coil 
and that they can do it efficiently and safely if they do it. And I feel like our, our grandfathers, our ancestors, things like that, they expressed that all the time and they were great. And I, I, I actually work, not that I'm going to tell anybody to do anything with pregnant women, but I was uh, training a couple pregnant women uh, when I was first learning all this stuff too. And I had worked through a couple pregnancies with them. And the last one I did with them, I applied all the rotational type principles to them when they're being told not to twist or bend, mm -hmm. do this stuff. And I got so much good success with that. Like with them feel, I always say is they felt separate of the baby. They felt separate of the be the belly and they were able to move freely and be a, a woman and a human that could function still and not just feel a burden from being pregnant because they're being told to be kind of like still more or whatever. So I thought that was a really cool thing. And they were almost wanting to sprint by the end of it and stuff too. Cause I told them pulsers and things like that and how to feel like that free bounce. And they would, when they're tired of walking around, they have, they have a tool that could help them kind of move more efficiently and stuff like that. I think that was like a really powerful thing too. And it just brings you back to the human beings are meant to function. Like we're meant to walk and we're meant to rotate in the mindset of up and down. So we're, mm -hmm. we rotate, with a side bend, not a twisty twist. Mm -hmm. It's a combination of a side bend and a, like a twist that creates rotation. And that's, that's what, um, that, that's how we relate to gravitational force and stuff like that. That's how we're, our body's designed to move to that. So the fact that we always just, like you said, we think of rotation as twisty twist versus this way. Would that conceptually then be a huge reason why we have people with so many lower back issues? Yeah, so I think, again, people rotating like full-on twist and then not being in the appropriate torsion lines because the lifestyle has them going into the like the oblique more. We're mm -hmm. all like hunched, we're all kyphotic. Mm -hmm. So when we go to like rotate and stuff, we're not getting lordotic to help mm -hmm. funnel the energy into the lat. It's not cycling. I would, I would put it that way. I feel like people aren't cycling through torsion lines well or through like intent well so they end up going places maybe they shouldn't be i'm not gonna say shouldn't be i don't like saying people shouldn't do certain <laughs> movement but you know what i mean it's like i think they're going places they don't understand and they're not tapping into efficiencies as well as they could uh maybe because they're scared of it they, they either don't know that they have access to something they've been told they can't have access to something or um yeah they just don't even like, yeah they just really don't know i don't think it's like somebody going into a lab and starting messing around with chemicals it's not a it's not the chemicals aren't the problem. It's the fact that the yeah. person using it doesn't know how to use them or sure. doesn't have yeah. understanding. Yeah. I think, yeah. yeah. It's just the level of just not knowing anymore. I think we're like looking for like, like it's some mystery or something too. And I think it's so simple that we almost overcomplicate it sometimes because we feel like we have to get it out in the way people want to hear it or something like that. But it's like, I'm going as simple as it's a side bend guys. Like, I don't even care if you're in your ladder or you oblique at this point. Like I just want you to side bend. It's okay. <laughs> like it's okay to be over here and, I'll lift absurd amounts and dumb amounts of weight in it to show you that it's okay. Cause I'm not some freak. Like I'll just, I just know, I know it's okay. So I'm going to do it and I'll practice it. And I know it's okay. And it's, it's okay for you too. You know what I mean? So yeah, I think we'll that's, get, people need to hear that, that it's just fine. You know, we'll get people into the, uh, you know, the bow and arrow position where with a big side bend and they're pushing, you know, and then we'll have them drive the stick into the ground too. And all of a sudden they're like, Oh, my lat. Yeah. Oh, there's my lat. But that having that safety there too for them, I think just that the stick, you know, giving them that stability was like, oh, okay, I'm okay, I'm safe. Dude, I love, and beyond just the stability of that, which I, I love that you just said that, because again, that's like why we use the Bose Elite. 
I don't need to make you unstable. I want you to feel secure so that you can learn and develop something. But um, again, like I love that stick. I used it a lot early on when I was learning this stuff. I was tagging you all the time, Dennis, and stuff uh, with uh, Stigma because just again, that ability to remove slack from both sides or hold both sides accountable is so key for people. Like most people are so concerned with the task that they forget that there's efficiencies on the other side that still need to be uh, tapped into that will help them complete the task better. You know what I mean? Or, or complete it without uprooting themselves. Like I don't throw a punch and then fall through the guy. If I miss, like I need to stay rooted and things like that, ready for the next punch type thing. So that's super, super important. Well, thank you for joining us today, man. That was uh it was a great conversation. Very eye opening. What we love is you're bringing something to our listeners that we figure a lot of them just haven't f- explored or don't even know about. So we really appreciate that. So uh, it was my pleasure. I appreciate you guys yeah. uh, having me out for this. So this is pretty awesome. And get to uh, finally meet the the two men. <laughs> <laughs> well, we finally get to talk. I mean, it's social media only does so much. Uh, yep. Once again, uh, can you give the listeners all your social media handles or where they can where they can follow you or get yeah, your content? Uh, so you can check, uh, check me out personally at Savage Protocols on Instagram. And then if you want to check out at WEC Method as well, I would highly recommend that. Uh, and that will lead you to anything I talked to you about today. Fantastic. And uh, I know, yeah. well, we, we're interested in getting down there and taking and taking the WEC Method course too. That's something that we have on our list. Uh, it's just mm-hmm. finding the time and, and once sure. dealing with all the stuff that we're dealing with right now with covid so hopefully we get that on the books sometime down the road in the not too distant future so um definitely we're gonna have you back on again chris this was excellent so thank you again and uh we will talk to you soon my friend all right thank you guys thank you thanks man it's good to uh all the listeners out there thank you for joining us on another episode of movement made better podcast and until next episode be good to each other